Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. A different sort of episode today. Oh, we are going to clear the runway to do a, a fairly long-form interview with Coach Odell Hagens, FSU's veteran defensive line coach. Uh, this interview was conducted back before camp started uh, and figured this is kind of an appropriate time to do this 2013 you know, retrospective with Coach Hagens uh, ahead of an interesting game for FSU up at Boston College because weird things happen at Boston College. I've been saying that on the podcast all all preseason and even into the season here as FSU is planning to go up there. Uh, it's Wednesday morning. Game's still on. I know there's a hurricane going up that way. We'll see. Uh, but I want to, to... This felt like a fun time to brush off this interview. Coach Hagen's... Like, Odell doesn't do a ton of, of these type of interviews. So this is a real treat. And I think he's really insightful about the entire season, the complexity of that team, the depth, how it was assembled, especially the trenches. And you start kind of hearing some parallels. Now, again, this is recorded in the preseason to what's happening, you know, with FSU on on the field here in the 2023 season, 10 years later, right? Like the, the defensive line depth starting to show up and you guys are starting to talk about depth, talking about being selfless. You hear Fabian Lovett talk about that the other day. So then this team is a top 10 team going up to Boston College. Again, weird, weird things happen at Chestnut Hill for FSU. Uh, 2013, FSU fell down 17 to three, uh, and then ends up going on a 35 to three run, and, and never trails in the regular season again in that September contest. So um, there are other weird games up there too. The 2017 game where the the cracks start to really show uh, for that program. FSU lost 35 to three. The 2017 game, Jordan Travis debut after Willie Taggart was fired. Like it's just there. Weird things happen in Boston College. So uh, Odell Higgins is going to talk about that. Like he's going to talk about that being a a turning point for the that that team in 2013 early in the year. He said it woke us up. Uh, but really, like the interview is going to be about Odell discussing how that team was was formulated and assembled, the coaching staff, uh, the defense, the, the offensive line, even just like it's really great insight uh, for a series that we've been having fun with uh, throughout the last couple months. Uh, and, and it's going to be a, a fun interview for you guys to listen to for about you know 30 minutes or so. Odell's great. Um, so before we get to that, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Turner Group. The Turner Group! Uh, Colin and Amy Turner do a fantastic job with the home buying and selling process. They're based in, in Central Florida, uh, but they can help you throughout the entire state of Florida. Uh, and, and Colin is a diligent worker. Very easy to get along with, uh, low pressure. I uh, actually just talked to someone the other day who who had him go and help out, look at, at whether it was a good time to, to sell their father's house. And, and like, so those are the kind of things that Colin can do. It's not going to be a pressurized thing. He's going to go and give you his opinion and advice. And um, yeah, he can help you out. So uh, the Turner Group, highly recommended if you're about to emerge into the, uh, the home buying process. Next up, Chattanooga Whiskey. Uh, hopefully we're able to enjoy a victory pour after... Florida State's win this weekend. Uh, hopefully the game happens. Uh, and if not, you can sit back and, and watch some college football uh, on Saturday from the safety of your home, uh, sipping on some responsibly delicious Chattanooga whiskey. They're crushing it in the craft distillery game. I can't tell you like how many people have have told us they, they love the product. It is phenomenal. They do a really good job and very meticulous crafting process uh, in, in distilling some of the best bourbon you're going to find. And you can find it anywhere in the Southeast. Uh, you can go to sealbacks.com if you need to order it online. Uh, they'll be able to help deliver it to you uh, if you're not finding it in your local shop, but pretty much anywhere in the southeast now you can find it. And then also, 
Football Coach College Dynasty with a 95% positive rating on Steam. Football Coach College Dynasty is the ultimate college football management game for PC. Be a coach and create game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team, and compete for national championships. Uh, like FSU competed for a 2013 national championship. It might be competing for one this year. Uh, football Coach College Dynasty is available now on Steam Steam for $11.99. I think we've lost Zach to, to like 20 years of Dynasty at this point. I'm still working through my first season. Football season's been daunting for me, but uh, it is a ton of fun, a great strategy game. And hey, if you like if you like building good rosters, uh, the battle's end uh, is probably a place you should look into. So without further ado, let's get into it. Odell Higgins is going to join us. Again, this doesn't happen very often. It'll be a real treat. Uh, thanks to Coach Higgins for joining us. Here we go. And joining me now on On the Bench to continue our 2013 FSU Championship Series is... I'm gonna ask Odell. I know you're. I know you're a modest man, so cover your ears. I'm gonna brag on you for a bit because he's an FSU legend. Odell, welcome. How you doing, buddy? Glad to be on with you. Oh, we we appreciate your time. We appreciate you being here. Odell is the defensive line coach at Florida State right now. Uh, he he is a legend, as I mentioned before, All American for the Seminoles in 1989. Been on the FSU staff since 1994. Coached 20 20 defensive linemen who've been drafted in the NFL while being a part of multiple national championship teams. Which brings us to the 2013 national championship team that Odell was a part of starting off coach. Like what with that 2013, it was obviously a special one. Uh, what looking back at it 10 years later was unique about that squad. Like what was the secret sauce that made that team so very special? Well, I'll tell you what the, um, the leadership in, in, in the brotherhood of that football team. I, I'll never forget that the spring before we went out um, spring break, we had a goal line practice. And so the guys so spirited and Timmy Jernigan, LaMarcus Joyner, Nick O'Leary, Jameis Winston, all the guys, Cam Irving. So we got one up, two up on them and they said, coach, run it back, run it back. Next thing you know, we had about 25 or 30 plays to go line straight. Nobody sub. You knew right then they was going at each other. Guys, bloody nose, hurt ankles and everything. But, and the thing that I liked about it, after we finish up, they were hugging each other and stuff. Say, love you, brother. That right there, it told it, it, it told you something about that team. It is a true brotherhood, man. You as a coach, you've seen so many different, like every team always has a different DNA each year, right? Like it's always a little different. But like when you see that kind of culture happening, do you feel something like, oh, this this could be special just based on how competitive these guys are? Yes. Well, they, they were very competitive, but they encouraged each other. It was, it was like I always say, it was team. It's not about me. A lot of them would say that. Don't forget, hey, we ain't using no I word. It's about the team. And you and you think about it, they didn't care who got the credit. As long as they went out there and whooped somebody's butt between those lines. That's the only thing. They just had fun. Enjoyed each other. Enjoyed playing with each other. And this, this team, you, you know, you never, you never, you had to tell them guys, whoa. You didn't have to tell them, go, 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 go. Some days we'll have, uh, of a practice out there, getting out to each other. We have to cut it back some. And, and you know, Brian Stork and Cam Irvin and Hosway, they, man, we used to get out there. And, you 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 know, and those guys, they enjoyed it. It wasn't a dread. We didn't have to push, push, push. They, whoa, whoa. When they hit that field, that Wilson between the line, they got out of it. Uh, and speaking of, like, what, what's happening between the line and the trenches, it, 
it's not lost on me, coach, that like the 1999 title team also had like an exceptional defensive line. Corey Simon, Jamal Reynolds, uh, Ronald Seymour. And the depth too was really good. And and so like as we look at like parallels between like what needs to be successful ingredients to go and, and have a chance to win the whole thing, is it like safe to say that having an elite defensive line group is, is more or less like essential to being a title contender? Well, it's both sides of the ball. Yeah. You know, the offensive line and the defensive line because – you, you you want it so intense and so competitive in practice where both both sides get better. I think you have both sides of the football that's really good. That's the time you think about winning national championships. And and the thing about it, and back then in 2013, you you think about Cam Irving, Hosway, um, Stork, and some of the other guys, man, and Barbara Hart. We had a very good offense. All them guys played in the NFL. And then you had the front then, and every day it was a war. Mario Elvis, Timmy Jernigan, Eddie Goldman, Jacoby McDaniel. It, it was a war every day. You, know, you mentioned some of the defense alignment that kind of led to those those battles. And we've talked to a couple of players so far, Coach, and like guys have consistently said that practices were harder than than games in a lot of instances. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. It's like that's the culture, right? Like that's what yes. was established. Yes, yes. We always tried to make it that way. And as of now, you you want to practice a lot harder than a game. You want the game, you know, it's not going to be a breeze. It'll be a strain, but we were so competitive and talented, whereas when we hit the practice field, we knew every play you had to strain, you had to be your best because if not, you was going to get embarrassed in practice. So <laughs> it was an up-tempo deal, very intense. Well, let, let's talk about some of the pieces that made up that defensive line, and, and I'll go and ask you about a couple of them individually, but, like, Obviously, their depth, the versatility was there, but like star power as well. And there were tone setters um, that, that really like for every single game in the trenches really established like what you guys were going to do throughout the course of a contest. Let's start with Timmy Jernigan. Like I loved watching his intensity and his strength. Um, I guess I guess in hindsight, like what what made Timmy so so special and made him so uh, impactful as a defensive tackle? Well, I tell, you, I tell you, at the point of attack, Timmy Journey was so strong and so physical. He was violent when he used to come off the football. And I think I probably, I'm using that word lightly, when he used to come off the football, it was like you could hear it. When he come out of his hips and strike somebody with his hand, he would jaw their teeth. He was just so violent. And Timmy loved the game. He didn't like it. He didn't like what the game did for him. He loved the game. He loved playing the game. Because it was time his senior year, he used to get upset with me because we beat a team – 28 to 0, 31 to 0, the first half, but take him out. Oh, coach, I know. Hey, Timmy, sit down, son. Okay. He used to get, he used to get frustrated. He probably played out of what, 14 games? I'm going to play four, three uh, total four games. But he, he, he just loved the football. He loved playing. And, you know, Timmy really didn't talk about the NFL, this, this, that. He just loved competing and practice. When he got in the game, he tried to make you pay now. Let's let's talk about Eddie Goldman. Um, just uh, as I'm going down the lines, like it's it's amazing all the options and and talent that you guys had. I see you smirked a little bit because I'm sure that's a coach's dream. I got this NFL guy. I got this NFL guy. Oh, we're gonna have like a like a multi-year starter. Jacoby McDaniel is just rotating around. But but with uh, Eddie Goldman, I know his recruitment was a big win for you guys at the time. The battle you had to go like up to the DMV to get him, and then yes. he ends up turning into what you thought he would be. So like his whole process, his journey, is him becoming the finished product had to be cool to see. I'd imagine. Yes, um, I tell you, recruiting Eddie, that was that, that was fun. You know, I got to know his parents very well, his dad. 
Muhammad and him and I, we still talk right now today. But Eddie was a great kid, quiet kid. You know, the first time I met Eddie and I talked to him and on day day, Eddie said, yes, yes, sir, no, sir. Hmm. And all of a sudden, his daddy told me, he said, you get to know him, coach, keep calling. He'll start talking, he'll start opening up. And, you know, that was a recruiting battle we won. And Eddie was my type of guy and, and well, our type of guy. And Eddie developing and stuff his first year, you know, he played sparingly. His second year, he started. Ed is 6'4", 300-pound, strong guy that can run. Ed understood the game, understood the game. The biggest thing with Ed, I had to get him in very good shape okay. and teach him how to play with his hand, play in low, and using great technique. A lot of a lot of times kids think they can come in and play. Yeah, you can. You may have the physical ability to play football, but you don't have the technique. Ed used to be so tired. I used to tell Eddie this. I said, Eddie, once you learn the technique, you're going to be able to play longer because when you're out there playing football, using your forearms and not striking blockers and snatching them, you'll exert so much energy by trying to get away from blockers instead of striking a block and snatching them off. Once he learned how to play with technique, Ed was able to play a lot more. When he started playing with technique, he was very dominant, very dominant. Odell, did you do a lot of hands-on coaching with Mario Edwards Jr.? I know because you guys ran the hybrid scheme, so I'm not sure if like yes. you guys did a lot with him. Okay, so what can you say about about him and his performance that season? Well, Mario, I tell you what, Mario, you, you see in that the other day, you know, I was on vacation. My daughter, she watching that championship game. We came on. You watching Mario tackle a guy six two, about two hundred fifteen pounds, run a full four quarterback. Mario was a big athlete, strong, fast, and physical. You know, it's amazing. We He played defense in, but every once in a while, on third and long, I, I would bar him and put him down to three technique. He'll shake a guard and make him spin him around like a top. Mario had it all of the above. A great athlete. He was a mean football player. Very, very intelligent on the football field, as with Timmy was, just like Timmy. And Mario, you know, he could play so many positions. He could play any position on the defensive line. That's how talented he was. And then the the rotational pieces as well. They don't get as much love as the the primetime starters, right? But like a guy like Jacoby, a guy like Niall Lawrence Stample, like play a role in, in depth and practice. And I guess what can you say about like the depth of that defensive line that season? Now, you know, you go back and say you talk about all those star players and starters, but the most important things was the guys understanding their roles. Jacoby came in sometime on first down, second down, or third down. But when he came in, he made noise. And I said, Jacob said, Coach, Tim and them don't beat them up. And, they, and, and I'm fresh. I'm getting ready to do something to them. And they like that. And so DeMonte McAllister, now them guys, they played their role. When they went in there, it wasn't a letdown. Sometimes they brought it up to another level because they were fresh. And, you know, that championship team, guys that played their roles, that was the, one of the most important things, doing your job, doing it for each other, not for thyself. Yeah, that, that just as you're describing that special, like that just that there's a selflessness and there, there's a self awareness yeah. too with yes. that, and like that's not. I know that you appreciate this point in your career, like that that doesn't always happen that way. It's like all these pieces have to come together perfectly, right? It's like this beautiful yes. conglomeration of stuff. So cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, so I was so with Jacoby. I was watching the Maryland game actually right before the the interview here. Just I'm going back and watching stuff periodically, get myself familiar with that season and. And Jacoby's game against Maryland, that was a really good offense. Like, they had good pieces, Stefan Diggs, um, and they scored a lot of points that year. You guys shut them out. 
It yeah. was 49 nothing at the end of the third quarter. I think it was 61 nothing was the final. But like, isn't that a, that's a perfect example of like what that depth was with the Jacoby, right? Yeah, that was a dominant team, and you know, and the thing about it, I'll never forget that game and uh, the quarterback and some of the players on the other team. They were mouthing off. We didn't have to say much to the guys. We gave them bulletin board material. We put up on the bulletin board. You know them guys right there. They weren't going to talk about it. They was going to build about it on the football field. Think about Jacoby. Jacoby, you know, they're saying undersized, but Jacoby's six foot, about 280-some pounds, very athletic, strong, strong at the point of attack. Jacoby understood the game. He, he, You know, he understood how he could set guys up and do certain things to them and, and, and outmaneuver them playing, playing the position. But he was a very smart football player. Do you know the story? Because uh, I never got like a full clear answer. He wore cowboy boots around the facility. Do you know what that was about? That was Jacoby, um, uh, Madison Cowboys. Oh, he there we go. Cowboy boots. <laughs> uh, so between that, so I'm going to go through some of the games, Coach. Like between that, the Maryland game was, or before it was the Boston College game. And to me, that seemed like covering it that season seemed like that BC game was the turning point for the defense, where BC kind of caught you guys a little bit early. You obviously recovered, but that was the wake-up call. Is that a fair way to look at it? I guess what happened in that BC game that kind of changed things afterwards? Well, that was a great way to look at it and because it, it woke us up. And, you know, we weren't playing gap sound football at the time, and we came back in, we talked to them, we sat them down. Once we settled that team down, we understood what they was trying to do, put them in the, the best situation, which let's give Adazio some um, some props. You know, we didn't figure it out. We understand they were having the five, they were having five linemen on one side, the two on the other side, and they had the extra gap. Once we broke it down and we, we figured out we made the adjustments, that's when we started stopping. But that team they knew and Boston College, they ran up the first quarter and a half. They ran up and down the field on like a water, trying to hold water in our hand. Them guys, they they took it upon themselves to come back in the second half and say, no, this is not happening. And we put it together and, and, and made the adjustment, and we stopped and we won that game. That was a big turning point. We made some changes on the defense for the betterment of the players, put the right pieces in the puzzle. When that happened, you see what happened after that. You start going with, I guess, the nickel package a lot more, which back then, like, that wasn't always the base defense 10 years ago. I guess it was starting to be. But, what, what like, is that the personnel change that kind of helped? Yeah, things we, went, we went five defensive backs and two linebacker, four defensive linemen. We moved Christian Jones from middle linebacker to stand-up defense end to the boundary. And we played uh, nickel defense against 21 personnel, 12 personnel. We didn't care. We had to. You had LaMarcus Joyner coming off the head at that nickel blitzing at times, safety bliss. Hey, we we just we just put it together and played team football, played together. That fit our, our talent at the time. And so then then after the Maryland game, Clemson, right? Like that, I think that's the next the next week. And yeah. um I, I think that Maryland game like kind of was a an alarm to people naturally, okay, this team might be something, but if there, if there was an alarm, I think the Clemson game was then the actual like incident occurring. Like this is, this is what this team is. What what do you remember about that week leading up to the, to the Clemson game and even like the moments before you guys ran on the field? You know, it's funny. I remember it was a normal week. We went out and practiced hard like we normally did. Like I told you, it was so competitive. Them guys knew 
and practice. How we practiced the game was going to be as hard. But we had to pay attention to details. That's the thing we had to do. Keep paying attention to details. Doing what we do. You know, Clemson ranked what? Third, second, or whatnot. We was ranked fifth. And, you know, having James at quarterback, a young quarterback, and it didn't matter. You know, a lot of times, man, well, I tell you, ever since I've been a player, a coach here at Florida State, we never worried about opponents. We respected them, but we didn't worry about them. We did what we supposed to do at Florida State University. Prepare. Worry about today. Be where your feet are today. And take care of everything else later. At what point in that in that contest, it got quiet pretty quickly. We've had a few players say, like, you notice that. Like, as, as a player, you hear the fans chirping early on, and then you notice when it gets quiet. I guess as a coach – do you allow yourself to think of that at all in the moment? Like, hey, this place got quiet, or are you just so dialed in? I guess what's going on, like, as, yeah. as you start pouring it on them a little bit. Bro, I'm so dialed in. I don't listen, and I don't hear none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Really, during the game, we get out, we start playing, man. I'm just more concerned about how them kids playing, how they hustling, fundamentally sound, playing hard. Really, I don't I, – I, I'm dialed in during the game. So – Let's talk about like the, the Florida game, uh, Miami games, like rivals. You guys, at that point, like you guys start to roll, right? And, yes. and the good things start happening. But like when you're able to pour it on to a rival, like you're able to, especially against Florida, they gave up seven points that game and it was in the fourth yes. quarter. Because what does that do for, for Florida State when you're able to have that kind of a, a dominant victory? Yeah, well, dominant victory. You have a victory like that against a rival. And, we, and, and remember preparing for those guys. And you say, guys, throw the record book out. Because you playing either Miami or Florida, them guys, they're going to play their best. And I don't care if we was 0-11 and, and they was 11-0, and we'd have played our best and vice versa. So we threw the record book out and we knew next opponent. Next, we never looked at, never looked at saying, well, down the road. The thing we had in, our, in the defense line meeting room, next, next, next. We didn't do that. And Florida happened to be next. That's how we looked at it, seriously. No, I, that, again, there's there's this, I think from the outside looking in, we think of things so uh, narrative-based or like a movie cinematically, and you guys can't do that. Like, that's just not the life that you can live as a as football team. Like, you're, you are, it's week to week, it's day to day. That's what the best teams do. Um, yes. It, it, can you talk about like the, I guess the culture of like the defensive coaching staff of, of Jimbo at that time, like just what that coaching staff, it seemed like there was competitiveness in a healthy way amongst that staff that helped like yes. propel that, that team forward as well. Well, you had, um, you had Jeremy for uh, South and Sarah, Charles Kelly, myself, and man, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> and you talk to any of those guys, they would tell you, we had a lot of fun, you know, and think about it. I coach my position, Pruitt coach here, Sal coach here, and Kelly coach here. And, uh, man, we, we we had so much fun, man. It, it's just like second to none because everybody did their job, you know, helped their kids, make, make, help their kids to a high standard. And when we got together, it was like, it was like let's say you're looking at a puzzle, you got the puzzle sprayed out. Once we got together, that puzzle was, was fixed. We got together, and everything just gelled so well together. We had so much fun. You actually ended them guys. My, we 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 had a lot of fun coaching together. Yeah, and I'm sure it was extra fun that you guys were just you know, beating up on people too. That makes it more fun, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But hey, 
You had to work at it too now. Yes, sir. And, but but the thing about it, and people say you get talent, you should be able to win. And you know, you got to coach the talent. Mm -hmm. And just like I was, was talking to a kid, you got to prune that talent. Sometimes you prune so you cut the limbs off and grow back better. And the thing about it, you coach it and let them know you can coach them hard. You show them you love them. That's one thing we did as a staff, Jimbo, myself, and all. We showed it we love them. We pushed them hard now. But them kids played hard for us. They were run through a wall. Let's move to the national championship game against Auburn. And um, you guys didn't have a whole lot of close games that year. It was the BC game was really the only one, and even that one you pulled ahead. Auburn a little different. 21-3, um, you go down. And, yeah, the offense was struggling a little bit. The defense seemed to be kind of dealing with the tempo, which wasn't always a thing that you saw back you know, 10 years ago. It wasn't mm -hmm. as popular as it is now. I guess what what's the messaging like, like right after you go down by three scores? What's the sideline like in, in that moment? You know what? I'm, a lot of people say, oh, Coach, y'all won the game. It wasn't – nobody was fussing. Nobody was going, jawing at each other, bitching at each other. It was calm. James come down and said, guy, let's keep it going. Let's get the ball back. It was so – we never fit, We never felt that we was going to lose the game. We knew it was, it was going to turn around. We knew that we had the guns. We just keep making plays. Play the next play. Play the next play. Don't worry about just, just play this play that we got now. Then next, play the next play. We knew the game was going to turn for us because we knew the type of team we had and the leaders that we had. Them kids, we knew. They they knew it. LaMarcus Joyner, you had Kevin Smith and Timmy Jordan, them guys, and Eddie Goldman, all them guys, and James them. We, it just felt that way. It wasn't James, any worry. James is going over to the defense, like, and he's struggling at that point, too. Like, he's like – but he's keeping them calm too. Like he's playing yeah. a role in that. That's cool. Man, that's one thing about James. James didn't care about none of that stuff. James <laughs> gonna go out. He he was the type of player you weren't gonna beat him, mm -hmm. no matter what. If he had to go out there on one leg, you wasn't gonna beat James. And his personality when he come down, to everybody see lead on the football team. Dude, we good. Just get the ball back. Let's stop him. We gonna go score. Like when they scored on us. James called, came down to his exact word. Hey, they left too much time on there. His exact words. When did you know that James was going to be really good? Like, did you know before the pit game? As a program, you personally, but like, did everyone have that belief in him? Or was it that pit game? Well, me, as a, you asked me the question. Yeah. That first game we played pit, he went yeah. 25 for 27. And, well, 27, 20, 27, one drop. Well, one guy got stepped out of bounds, twenty six to twenty seven. And that, and yeah, and that one that drop was if I or without it, but one of them was kind of questionable call. Like it probably shouldn't have been. Uh, should have been another completion. Yeah, yeah, but but before the game, you knew how Jameis was. His personality, everybody rallied around him. Jameis, Jameis, great hearted person. That's the thing about it. And what you saw is what what you got out of Jameis. Working hard, he worked hard as a quarterback. Jameis would go out there. We had boards. He would try to get in there and do boards. <laughs> the coach would get on his butt. That's how he was. And so you respect that you play hard with a teammate like that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So so go back to the, the national championship game. You mentioned like the team has a level of calmness to them despite the circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. Despite having to play from behind. Uh, with the defense, like when did 
was there anything special that led to like the the turnaround in the second half? Anything schematically, or like I guess what what shifts to where that second half turns around for you guys? Well, you you, you look at it. We knew they'll make some plays across the fast space. We never played a team like that, and came down and we settled down. We played base defense. We let our big guys up front roll. We let the guys back back in the secondary cover. We didn't do anything too fancy. We said, hey, get our cleats in the dirt and play football. Let our talent play football. Be fundamentally sound and understand what they're trying to do to us. We figured out what they was trying to do to us. Think about it, they scored 21 points the first half and only 10 the second half. And they didn't have as many yards. But And and also helping at halftime when Gus Malzahn say, now we're going to take it to them and finish it. I remember that. That, that got to us in the – in, in the locker room. Oh, you heard that? Yeah, that got to us. <laughs> well, that, that, that's that, that, that team didn't need a whole lot of bulletin board material, but any little bit. Jimbo always said a crumb, right? And that, yeah. that, that would be the crumb. Gave, gave us a crumb. We said it to him. So really, though, it's like a sim- – like you're talking about like a like a simplicity of like, hey, we're just going to scale things down, do what we do, and just let our dudes go out and and play football. Right? That's right. Let them play. Let them play. Get the cleats in the dirt. Understand. Make them have to beat us. Let's not beat ourselves. You look at some of the touchdowns they had, guys wide open. They fast paced. So we settle down, say, hey, play our game. If they beat us, they're going to have to beat us man on man. Uh, that, that takes so a lot of the times, like, just as people, like, we can have ego, right? And think I could be helped. I could help solve the problem if I do more. And it was the exact opposite. Was, we're just going to step back and do what we do well and let our dudes just play football. That's yes. so cool. That, that takes that's, a lot, that takes a lot of – If you go back and look at that game, they had two of their touchdowns wide open because we had guys in cover. Because mm-hmm. they were going so fast, we were doing other stuff. And Coach Pruitt and all of us, we got together and broke it down. Jim told us, say, slow down and do what we do. Let them play football. Let our men play football. And then it helped too that you have a bunch of defensive linemen that could just kick the offensive line's ass on a down to down basis. <laughs> right? That, that, that helps. <laughs> uh, and then so that final, so Trey Mason goes ahead, scores. He strikes the Heisman pose. I have no idea if you guys even see it at that point. Probably, probably not. I would imagine. Uh, but but you guys are calm and cool, like knowing that the offense has a legit chance to to That's score. In that James, hey, we came to the sideline. James came down. And say that's too much time that's too much time and, and he was right he he's was right and we did that every Thursday every Thursday we practiced that we never had to do it in, during the season that was the one time we had to do it it worked perfect and, and then you guys go ahead uh score the throw to KB obviously just a a, a picture perfect way to end that game I uh, get the stop on on the trickery the the final few seconds of the game that Auburn has and and you win Odell you guys win the national championship. Oh, people are going to talk about that team uh, for what it was, you know, perfection wise and, and a level of dominance, I guess for you, you've been part of a lot of really great teams. Some have won national titles, some fell short, you know, you need a lot of things to happen. Um, I guess, how, how do you think this team will be viewed like a 10 years now or 10 years from, from today? So 20 years after the national championship and 50 years from now, uh, like how do you think college football will remember the 2013 Seminoles? That team, I think, is one of the greatest teams ever. I think so. And if people say you're biased because you're close on it, but 
if you think about it, man, a lot of times we had our starters out by a quarter and a half, and them guys were so dominant. It was scary. It's just like we used to, you know, stop people, take the ball, just drive down the field. It's just like it was easy. It was easy. They were so dominant. And what what make it great about that football team, they were so selfless, man. They, they didn't care about who got the credit. They went out and played for each other. They played so hard. They played hard for each other. And I used to say the team is not about me. That's the thing that made it special. Undoubtedly a special team. Um, my first year covering the program was 2013, so that was a heck of a year hmm. to kind of get into it. Um, but, yeah, one one that will be remembered very fondly for this fan base for sure. Coach, really appreciate your time. This was a ton of fun. Honored to have you here on On the Bench. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. You have a great day, brother. You too. All right, later. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.